Today's assigned epistle lesson is from the book of Romans, the fourth chapter, verses 13 through 25. The promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there transgression. For this reason, the promise depends on faith in order that it may rest on grace, so that it may be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, Abraham believed that he would become the father of many nations. According to what was said, so shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old and the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. Therefore, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words it was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Now that is some pretty complicated stuff, but I gotta tell you, I love Romans. And I did not always love Romans. It took me a lot of time to get there. You have to spend time with Romans. You have to spend enough time to recognize and then fall in love with Paul's complex and beautifully structured argument. But walking into a single passage, like we're doing today, is like walking into a room when the argument is already in progress. If you haven't heard how the argument started, and you don't know any of the personalities involved, you're going to have a lot of questions. To answer the questions raised by today's passage, you have to go back not to the opening chapter of Romans, but to the opening book of the Bible, all the way back to Genesis. And that is where you will find that man called Abraham, Abram, when his story began. That is where you will see in today's Old Testament text that Wayne read that Abraham, at the call of the Lord, left his country and his kindred and his father's house to go somewhere that the Lord did not specify except to say, I'll show you. Even though Abraham was already 75 years old, an age when most of us would rather stay put, he set out on this unknown path. And as the years went by, he moved from place to place, and the Lord did not give him a lot of directions. But the Lord did talk a lot about Abraham's future. Chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 17, again and again, the Lord told Abraham that he would have a lot of offspring 
as many as the grains of dust on the earth or the stars in the sky, and that Abraham would be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. And in chapter 17, the Lord got specific and told the now nearly 100-year-old Abraham that he and his wife Sarah, who had never had a child together, would produce a son. And in response, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. I had forgotten until I went back and read it this week that Abraham actually laughed. Later in Genesis, Sarah will hear the same news about the son, and she'll laugh, and somehow we all know about that. But Abraham, man of faith, laughed first. Genesis 17, 17. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? He wasn't just amused. He was incredulous. Incredulous, root Latin, credere, to believe. The prefix in denotes the opposite. And this is the man who Paul holds up as the father of our faith. Abraham says Paul is the father of all of us, all who believe in the one God. And that includes everyone in the church. This is the argument already in progress when we enter today's text. An argument that, just like Abraham's laughter, is both glorious and scandalous. Paul, the educated, faithful Pharisee, the former persecutor of Christians, argues that anyone who believes in the God who raised Jesus from the dead is a descendant of Abraham, even if their parents were not Jews even if they do not follow Torah, even if they previously worshipped pagan gods, even if they are men who are not circumcised. I can't stress this enough, and you've heard me say it before. Judging from the amount of time that Paul spent on the subject in his letters, the biggest controversy of the forming church was whether an uncircumcised male belonged to the family of God. Circumcision was the mark of membership in that family. It was the mark of a covenant that defined the relationship between God and Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants by Sarah. And the terms of this two-way promise were these from Genesis 17. God would make Abraham the ancestor of a multitude of nations and be in relationship with them and Abraham and all those nations would be faithful to that relationship. When Paul talks, as he frequently does in today's text, about the promise, that's the promise he's referring to, perpetual relationship between God and the descendants of Abraham. In that relationship, God would work out God's purposes and Abraham and his descendants would faithfully believe that God was working out those purposes, however incredible that might seem. Remember how I said last Sunday that the religion of the ancient Israelites was characterized by separation and boundaries? Well, circumcision was a physical mark of the most rigorous boundary of all. Although the word does not appear in today's text, in 48 preceding verses, some form of the word circumcision appears 23 times. 
At the very moment before we opened the door into this text, Paul was arguing that Abraham was the ancestor of everyone who has faith in God, whether they bore that physical mark or not. Now, given the power of controversy to create conflict in the church, you would think a controversial position like Paul's would have killed the church before it even got started. But Paul risked the argument because he had faith that it wouldn't. Because Paul, as a descendant of Abraham, had inherited the faith of Abraham. And that faith gave him confidence that God could call life into being even when something looked as good as dead. And that is my favorite line in this passage. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead. I can relate. Can't you? If we know anything, we know our bodies. And we know when they are not what they used to be. Abraham knew his body. He knew his wife's body. And he knew that even in their youth, their union had never produced a child. And yet, says Paul, no distrust made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. He didn't waver, but he did laugh. As I said, I had forgotten that, but now I think I want to remember it always. Because that laughter helps me to know what the faith of Abraham really looked like. And why is that important? Well, not because Abraham had some special type of faith that we should attempt to copy. To imply that we could copy someone's faith positions faith as a behavior. And that tempts us to think that if we behave the same way, we will somehow earn our way into God's favor. You know, get right with God. But Paul is not interested in Abraham as a behavior. He is interested in Abraham as a believer. A behavior might try to behave his place into the family of God, but Paul has brilliantly and scandalously argued that such a place cannot be earned. It's not about getting right, but about righteousness. And righteousness in Romans for Paul means membership in that covenant with God. Often you hear today's passage preached as a message about justification by faith, but Paul's favorite topic was inclusion. And here he's writing about inclusion by faith. Righteousness is relationship with God, belonging in God's family, and that is not something you earn, it's something God offers. No one can earn their way into the covenant. You can't do it by perfect adherence to the Mosaic law because, first of all, God's covenant with Abraham preceded the Mosaic law. And second, Paul said that perfect adherence to the law, it's not even possible. The law is not what makes entrance possible. Only God makes entrance possible. The only way into the covenant relationship with God is through grace, which God offers freely. And just as God calls life into being, God, through grace, calls our faith into being. And faith calls us into covenant relationship with God.
Again, this is a radical argument for Paul to make because it erases the most sacred boundary of the people into whom he was born, the boundary around the covenant. Paul knows that his argument for radical inclusion is daring and even dangerous, perhaps capable of killing the brand new church. But Paul, having inherited the faith of Abraham, completely trusts God's power to bring life out of what looks good as dead. Having the faith of Abraham, Paul, as he wrote his letter to the Romans, may even have fallen on his face and laughed in amazement and delight and with total confidence that God would accomplish God's purpose for the church. God is still accomplishing God's purpose for the church. These days, we sometimes talk in worried tones about the church. Though usually when we sound the most worried, we're talking not about the church universal, but about our own congregations. The pandemic changed our physical community. Things look different. What will happen? Sometimes we sound a little bit like Abraham. Can a body this old produce new generations? Should we be worrying or should we be laughing? Abraham's faith doesn't give us a behavior to copy. It gives us something to look for in the mirror. The faith of Abraham is our inheritance. And so it shows up as an inheritance, like curly hair or a striking eye color. Our faith looks like Abraham's when we stare death in the face and believe in the God who promises life. When we believe that God's purposes are steady, reliable, ongoing, and astonishing, and we fearlessly delight in them. We have inherited Abraham's faith, even his incredulous laughter. In the face of God's power, our completely credulous incredulity calls out delight. And when we fall on our faces and laugh, that is when we look the most like Abraham. That is when we know we belong. Amen. <laughs>